Miss Ethel let me know that I was successful in my attempt last night to get you thinking. How many figured out before you got here and saw the text what what passage I was I was referring to? All right, we got one. Only one? All right, I guess I kept, kept it under pretty good. But I told you that there was a situation in the Bible that had become normal to everyone. Only a few who bended from the new normal, as we'll put it, liked it. Those who were subject to it didn't like it. Now, it wasn't always that way. That wasn't how things always were, but gradually changes were made to alter what God had set up. One day, someone came and decided to stand up against it. What was their motivation to come against? Something that sure seemed a whole lot bigger than what one person could do. Did this opposition change anything? Did it change the conditions? Did it empower the silent majority who didn't like what was going on? Did it make any kind of a change, positive change at all? Well, sadly, it did not. So was it worth it? Was God in the opposition? Now, you may know this story, but you may never have looked at it from this perspective. And I told you that last Sunday I left off three three items. I've got to make sure that we we uh, we bring them over here for you. So I'll give you two here right off the bat. We're looking at Athaliah and Jehoiada. Athaliah and Jehoiada. We saw that she had usurped the throne, and Jehoiada went and he took one of the king's sons, preserved him from being killed, and waited for seven years to be able to put him into the place as king. One of the first principles I missed, and I don't know how I did this, but it's, I wanted you to see this from the from the lesson. It is imperative that you not only pray, but that you act. If Jehoiada just prayed, well, we don't want this woman ruling. This woman has no right to the throne. This woman is not doing godly things. If that's all he did was pray, all the sons would have been killed. He had to act. And he couldn't just act one time. He had to continually act over those seven years to hide this son. The second principle. If you operate at work, whatever your job is, if you will operate at work the way the word tells you, don't just start it now, but from the time you take a job, you operate the way God tells you to operate in your job. You do the things that God wants you to do. You will become invaluable to your employer. They will realize you are the reason this place is prospering. You are the reason this place is succeeding. Now, I did that. I think the first time I came upon that was when I was working at Ken's Pizza and was learning over at Rama the principles of uh, being blessed in the job. And, you know, if, if my pizza place was blessed, then I was blessed. And so I, I let them know we're praying for business to come in. And I remember the one night it just all came down. They knew I was praying. And I, I didn't let them know very long. We had a Thursday night shift. Now, Thursday night in the pizza business, everybody know what the busiest pizza day is? Friday is the busiest pizza day. 
Yes, Saturday and Sunday take up the next. Thursday is right behind it. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you never know what's going to happen. Not much, but you, you don't know. So you don't have the staff on Thursday that you have on Friday. And we had seen business continually pick up and, and it was getting better. But this Thursday, everything just broke. We had a Friday's worth of business with a Thursday crew. And we were overwhelmed. And everything was undone. Now, normally on a Thursday night, you close up the shop around, trying to, I think Thursday nights we closed around 10 for the pizza place. And then, you know, it take you, you start closing around 9, 10 o'clock, close, lock the doors, 10.30, less people are out of there, and you just finish up the last stuff. You're usually out of there by 11.30 midnight, which is good because I had to get up for school 5 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, you don't want to stay there too long. And so this particular Thursday night, I still remember that day. And it was a mess. And we couldn't start closing at 9 o'clock. We were still making pizzas and business was still going full full board. And everything got pushed back. We didn't get out of the place until 3 a.m. in the morning. I've got to be up at 5. So I told God, I said, God, I love the prosperity that you're bringing into the business. But I'm here for school. <laughs> so we got to cut back on this a little bit. But they saw that my presence had an effect upon the upon the place. And there were some other places I was able to show them that as well. And it wasn't the only place. It was just the first place I had learned that. I made sure that the other employers uh, knew that as well. Make sure you tell them. As long as I'm here, this place is blessed. Go out on a limb. On a limb. Let them know this place is blessed because I'm here. Well, I don't bring in sales and, and business. That's okay. You bring in wisdom. You bring in how to do whatever it is that you do better than anyone else. Then you will find that they will try and make special rules to keep you. Remember when Daniel, they they made rules and Daniel was targeted. And when the king finally found out, oh, they made this rule to target Daniel. He tried everything he could to get Daniel out because Daniel was invaluable to him. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, his buddies, they got the king so mad, he didn't care how valuable they were. You're dying. <laughs> You're dying now. <laughs> Sometimes you will you will find that as well. Not saying that every time that you, you do what principles are, are in the word, that this will happen. But your performance will be much better than those that are around you. You will operate with more wisdom. You will operate with more integrity. You will operate with more diligence. You will operate with more faithfulness. There is more kindness with you. The customers like to be around you. There are so many benefits to having you in there. Now, if you go in there and act like the world, then you're going to get treated like the world. But you go in there and you do what the Word of God says, it will it will change some things. And they may even say, look, I don't know what the rest of them are doing, but we are making this rule this way because we don't want to lose you. And you will see that come in. So just know that can... Um, that can happen. Now here in John chapter 2, let's take a look at this story that has these things going on. In John chapter 2, let's begin reading at verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. 
Now this occurs after the water turned into turned to wine miracle. It was done in Cana. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. How many remember that Jesus cleansed the temple after the triumphal entry? Anybody remember that? Yeah. This is the first cleansing of the temple. There were two. There were two cleansings of the temple. This is the first one. John is the one who records it. It is early on in Jesus' ministry. There are certain differences from this one from the second one. But what you'll see, uh, this, this is Jesus' first Passover too, by the way, after stepping into the ministry that God has for him. But I wrote this down in your outline so you make sure, I want to make sure to give this to you. This is right after the changing of water to wine. And if you look at the pattern that John puts in here with the miracles, you first have the miracle of conversion. You second have the miracle of cleansing. This is an important principle in the Word of God. You will see this principle in other places in the Word of God, but you will not see it practiced by many Christians. By you will see it not practiced by Christians. Many Christians have the mentality: I must cleanse before I can get saved. You ever heard? Have you ever heard that? Well, God can't take me right now. I got too much sin in my life. I got to get rid of this. When I get rid of this, I can come to God. We have it mixed up. They think I have to cleanse. And then I can be converted. But here the pattern in John is what happened first? We had the conversion. And then we move on into the cleansing. This is the pattern that you will see that Paul teaches in the Word. You have to get converted first, become the new man. Then you can start going through the sanctification process, getting rid of the of the old man. Now notice this though. After the conversion, there does come a cleansing. There's many churches in America especially. But there are many churches even throughout history which the cleansing is bypassed. We don't need to do any of that cleansing anymore. Just, maybe they have conversion. Maybe they just want to convert people into coming to church. Whatever it might be, but there's no cleansing anymore. And what you'll have is you've got churches who, when we, we've mentioned this before, there are lifestyle sins. Lifestyle sins are sins that people have adopted. This is how I live. People get into homosexuality. That's a lifestyle sin. Now, people, some people haven't quite made it a lifestyle. They're, so they say in the closet. I don't want people to know about this. I know this is wrong. But once we get past that spot, I don't, I don't think this is wrong. I think this is right. I think this is how God made me. Then we we bring it out. This is my lifestyle. And we expect church just ought to accept it. And that that's not right. We have people that uh that do other things in the in the lifestyle. We talked about, you know, in the in this world people want to just live together. Jesus addressed that. But you have people in churches who will have a lifestyle sin and feel completely comfortable bringing out that lifestyle sin and never feel like they need to change. Now, that amazes me, but it does go on. Now, we have, well, Jesus made sinners feel comfortable. Ever hear that argument? Jesus made sinners feel comfortable. Yeah, sinners felt comfortable around him. How many times did he get around a group of sinners? He's eating at their house, and they're having, having lunch, and then somebody gets up and says, That's it. I'm converting. I'm changing. I'm cleansing this. Remember the uh, 
a tax collector, he stood up and said, I am going to fix this. If I've collected anything I shouldn't have, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. I'm going to make sure that I only collect what I'm supposed to collect. But Jesus didn't go around and condemn them. You're going to find that you're going to have churches that fit into certain categories. Not necessarily that they should. You're going to have those churches that are, are convenient. We're, they're comfortable. We want people to, to be comfortable coming out to church. We want to make sure we don't play music that bothers them. We want to make sure we don't preach sermons that bother them. We don't want them to, to feel uncomfortable. We need sinners to come out. They're not going to change. and We're not going to change if you don't call for it either. And the Word of God calls for our change. And that's what you, you have to do. Then you have churches went to the other side and they're the condemning churches. You walk in there and you just get condemned for everything that you did. And you feel like, man, I just, God doesn't even want me. <laughs> and that's not good either. We can't have that. We got to understand that God is in the cleansing process. He will cleanse us. But He takes us as we are. And then after a while, He says, you know, we've been, we've been working on these areas over here, but now it's time, let's go into this room. Let's clean this one up. Let's go over here and let's clean, let's clean this one out. He hasn't dealt with that room before. We're not here to throw condemnation on people. Jesus said in his word, we'll get to that scripture in a little bit. He said, I have not come into this world to condemn the world. If he didn't come into this world to condemn the world, you weren't sent here for that either. We're not here to condemn. But there shouldn't be that, that, uh, that comfortableness that sometimes comes about. With a, if, if you preach the word, the word should bring you to a place of cleansing. It should bring you to a point of conversion. And it should bring you to a point of, of cleansing. Now Jesus found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. Here's something interesting. What do you sacrifice at a Passover? Sacrifice a lamb. Remember Moses? They had to take the lamb. They had to make sure there was a, no blemish on the lamb. They had to take the blood. You know, they put it on the, the doorpost. But they had to take a lamb. And then what was that, what was that typified of? Jesus, the Lamb of God. But the Passover is all about the Lamb. What is in the temple? Oxen, sheep, and doves. Now the doves had some significance. If you can't afford a lamb, then the doves were the, were an option for you. So what happened to the lamb? Now, there could be a couple of things that happened to the lamb. Uh, one is, and we've gone over this at Christmas time, you know that there was a special area where they, they uh, raised these lambs to make sure that they were blemish-free. But what was going on actually in, during this time is, how many remember the uh, high priest Annas? Annas was anything but a high priest. He was an evil, corrupt, not Christian when you find him, you will find him in hell. He was he was horrendous. He was so bad the people actually voted him out. And when you come upon Jesus, they says they took him to the house of the high priest. Annas wasn't the high priest then; it was his son, I believe, Caiaphas. And they actually took it to Annas first. Why? Because he still had the influence, even though they voted him out. So what they had that were going on here, they were called. If you ever want to look this up, you can get some more history on it. But they had the bazaars of Annas. If you just look that up, the bazaars 
of Annas. You will get some history on these particular things. They ascribe them to his name. Some places put it as the marketplace of the sons of Annas. But if you just do bazaars of Annas, you will you will get this. And so what they had is these things that are set up in the temple were set up by Annas. It does not seem that they were year-round. It seems that they were set up in the month of Adar, which corresponds with our month March. And so they would set these things up inside the temple, inside the court. And these marketplaces were there. It didn't seem to be something that went on all year, but it went on for about a month. What you have in Jerusalem during this situation is people from all over the world, but especially the country, were coming to this particular city for the feast and for the sacrifices. And so the need for the sacrifices was raised. All of a sudden, we needed a few. Now we need lots of them. And so there is all kinds of uh, activity going on to buy sacrificial things. Many people would come and they would bring their own lambs. They would bring their own sheep. They would bring their own oxen. They would bring their own pigeons. They would bring their own things that they needed to do. And they would come in there. And so what began to happen was the uh, the priests were paid off. The priests were told, reject these as being sufficient and make them buy one of ours. Now, if you have brought your own uh, item for sacrifice and suddenly it's no good and you already made the trip and now you got to buy one, but you can't get it at cost. It's kind of like when you go into the movie theater and you know, and the, and, and the popcorn that costs you how much at home? <laughs> 50 cent at home, maybe. And then, and then you, you can go and buy it maybe in the storage for a dollar all popped up for you. But you go to the, to the movie theater and where are they going to charge you? Like $10, isn't it? It's been a while since I've been in it. Like $10 for a thing of popcorn. Now it used to be that they made popcorn in the, in the movie theater that you can't make at home. They made it out of the coconut oil, which is, how many of y'all know that's the best popcorn you can get? If you want really good popcorn, you gotta have it made with, with coconut oil. Of course, somebody came up with the idea that coconut oil is not healthy. And so they outrolled, they made it so it wouldn't be uh, available anymore. And so then they weren't doing it. But if you ever remember the days that you could buy popcorn in the movie theater, take it home, and it was good for several days. Do you remember, anybody remember those days? Yeah, that's because they used coconut oil. Now the stuff they use now, if you don't eat it fast, it's going to taste lousy. But they didn't charge you that much for it then. They're charging a lot more now. That's where they make all their money, I'm um, told. But $10 for a thing of popcorn. I don't know if you're like me. I go in there and say, I don't need popcorn. I can wait till I get home if I have a, when I have popcorn. And when I get home, I probably don't have it anyway. And then the soda. You know, that the, the big thing of soda. What's that, $7? $17 for a thing of popcorn. I mean, that's I don't pay that much for some meals. That's a lot of money in there. But you're you're stuck, and they of course they have the the people out there. You can't bring outside food, and so the, the women would help us out with this. They would have the big purses, <laughs> and in the big purse you could stuff snacks and stuff like that, and just come on in with that, and and then you can get the stuff on the inside instead of having to pay all that extra money for for the things. Now, if they would have just charged a regular amount of money, it wouldn't have been so bad. But you see, the Bible had made up the thing for pigeons. You could use a pigeon because there were poor people in the land. 
And poor people couldn't always afford to have the lamb, and they didn't want them to be excluded from this. So pigeons were acceptable as a as a stand-in for for their or doves, and so they would um they would have this. Now in in the New Testament era, you may not be familiar with this, but how many know the teacher that Paul had, Gamaliel? He had another student. He had a lot of students, but he had another very prominent student beside uh, Paul, and this particular student was passionate about what they were doing to the poor. Because they were charging so much money for the doves, for the pigeons, for the sacrifice, that the poor people couldn't afford them anymore. Now they're stuck in a position, I can't afford to sacrifice, I can't be clean, therefore I can't participate in a lot of things. And he was mad. He was angry. This is all during Paul's day. And so he decided, he. this is his campaign, this is his battle, he's going to take this thing on, and he came after this. And he finally came up with a winning way to get it done. And this is, this is interesting. Anybody know what he did? Probably never heard of this story before, did you? <laughs> this is what he did. He, uh, he went in there and he, he got up into the, into the temple and he declared, he's one of the teachers. He's one of the, uh, a prominent teacher. He got up and declared to them all, from this point on, you may offer one sacrifice after you have had your fifth baby. And that will cover all five. They said the price of pigeons and doves dropped immediately. That's how he came against it and what, and what he did. Um, but this is what was going on. These were the things that were, that were happening. So Jesus, in verse 14, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Now here in this first one, a whip is involved. He just kind of made a homemade whip. This is no real fancy whip, anything like that. And of course, this is the bad week for this. I heard that the whips you know, got into the, in the news. I don't know about you. I saw this picture come up and I couldn't figure this picture out. I saw the picture you know, here, here. Here's the picture from this side. Here's the picture. from, And they were trying to undo something that was being done. I didn't know what was done. I didn't know that uh, the controversy had gone out about the uh, the border guys on the horses and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm looking at the picture and I'm trying to figure out well, what are they trying to clean up. I looked at the picture, I couldn't see it. Maybe it's because I was more familiar with horses. I, I don't know. I've ridden a few horses, you know, in, in time, but um, I I couldn't see it. And apparently later on, I got some light on it. They're saying that they were whipping them, and because you know you saw the leather strap. I'm thinking, well, that's stupid. Every horse has a leather strap. It's called a rein. It's what you hang on to. And I could tell it wasn't a... I, I'm just looking at it, but I didn't know any of this controversy going on. I'm looking at it. You can't tell me that's a whip. There's no way that's a whip. That's a rein of the horse. And of course, you see it from the other angle. You see it even more so. And then, of course, people came out trying to defend the, the poor guys down there, trying to do a really hard job. And then they get uh, blasted for, for stuff like that. They're not issued whips. They don't have them. That's not something that's, that's in there. But of course, you know, we'd, the, the media is not out to try and, and uh, do anything but make controversy. That's what they would, would do. So more than likely, he didn't use his whip on people. He just used it to try and get the animals out. He wanted to get them all out. They were in the temple. He did. They should not be in here. So he drove them all out of the temple. He drove them all out. Got all the animals. They're all out. With the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. 
Now, the money changers, we didn't tell you about them yet. And what the money changers are is if, um, how many have ever been to a place where you needed ones? Anybody ever been to a place you need ones? Maybe you want to leave tip for a, a, a restaurant, you need some ones. And so you would go and you would, you know, I have a $10 bill, can I get 10 ones? And so they would count out 10 ones and then you would go on back and you'd put the, the tip on the table or whatever you needed the ones for. What these folks were doing was if you went up to the register person and you say, I need 10 ones, and they say, well, that's fine. Give me your $10, and you give them $10, they would give you $9 back. These these folks at the changers, changers table, they would charge you 10 to 12% to change your money. Now, the reason you had to change your money is because they came up with the idea that we do not want any foreign currency for the temple tax. It's also called the tribute tax. As far as I can tell, they're both the same thing. And they're, it's, it's paid in the month of Adar. And so when everybody's coming out to Jerusalem, this is one place where you can collect it. But if you didn't get to Jerusalem, they do have collection places inside your city. Make sure that everybody paid this. It was two shekels. It's basically two days wage is what I'm, I'm told. I'm sorry, half a shekel. It was basically two days wage is, is what it was supposed to be. And so you had to change whatever money you had. If it was Roman money, if it was Babylonian money, whoever, whatever currency you had, you had to come to the tables, you had to change it out for Hebrew money, Hebrew currency, and then you could take that over and then you could pay. So instead of costing you about two days wage, now it's costing you 10% more. Because they decided we don't want foreign currency to pay. And you know, I think it sounds spiritual. This is a, uh, uh, something spiritual, this is something for God. We don't want foreign money doing something for God. Make sure that you get Hebrew money. And so all this is being set up, especially during this month. And so this is supposed to be, now you may not be able to relate to this, but, but try and, try and hang on to this. Can you imagine a month out of the year that is supposed to be a really holy time celebrating something really spiritual, something very reverent, and it is all taken over with people trying to make money? You probably can't relate to that in this country. But, you know, maybe if you thought about it, you might be... <laughs> yeah, we look at Christmas and it's kind of the same thing. Everybody's out to try and make money and the meaning of Christmas is kind of gone. That is what's happening in Jesus' day for the Passover. Everyone is out to make money. When people are coming into the city, they know this is what I'm going to face. I'm going to face all those people in the temple trying to hit me up to get my money. They want me to spend five times more for a dove than I would spend at home. They want me to spend five times more for an oxen than I would buy one at home. If I bring one from home, they won't receive it. They won't accept it. Only ones from the temple will do. Now, these changes don't happen right off the bat. You can't make this kind of a change, this radical change from what was in the Bible, to this right off the bat. It had to be gradual. And so what would happen was... People would say, well, you know, this, this pigeon, this dove, this lamb, there's a blemish there. You see that? Yeah, we can't, you can't bring that to God. But if you go over there across the way, you can go and you can get one and that would be good. Oh, I got to walk all the way over there. Well, yeah, but it's just outside the city wall. Just over, if you can go over there, you can, you can do that. And so, uh, people didn't like this. They said, we're going to help you out. We're going to make it more convenient for you and we're going to bring that right here into the temple. Oh, that is that is more convenient. I mean, I don't like the policy, but this is more convenient. And so, um, one, one by one, things began to change. And more and more things began to go on in the temple. So that here, when Jesus walks in, 
it is just mayhem in there with all these all these sheep, all these oxen, all these pigeons and doves, all these things to to be ready for sacrifice. They're all making noise, and you, you know they're doing other things besides make noise in the temple, in the temple area, in the courtyards and things of this nature. After a while, people had subtle changes, but they just began to accept it. You know, when we go down to the temple, you know what it's going to be like. Yeah, I know. I've never liked that stuff. When they bring all those things in, and just don't, just don't like it. It'd be kind of like if you were, if you were going, if we did this here at this church. Your Bible is no good in this building. If you want a Bible in this building, you have to buy one of ours. And we would have a Bible back there, a Zoe Bible. And uh, ushers would be going around. How come, how come you don't have one? You can get one right on back there. Go back there. And, and pressure would be applied for, for these kind of things. You know, you don't have a Zoe coffee mug. People are over there fanning themselves. Wait, 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 wait. That is not a Zoe approved fan. You need a Zoe fan if you want to come in here. And, and so things like this are being replaced and it's just a way to, to make money. Now the people that are doing this, the people that are in the temple area, they're selling the sheep, they're shell, selling the oxen, they're selling the pigeons, they're selling the doves, they're doing the money exchange, are all doing it supposedly for the service of God. And yet I'll bet not a single one has a heart for God. If they did, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. If they did, if they were doing what God wanted, how does Jesus come in and react like this? Now, this is not the first time Jesus has seen this. This is not the first year this was implemented. He had seen it other years. He's been visiting the temple every year. We know his his, uh, parents came on out. We know that one time he got left there. Uh, So this is something he would come out to. How far back it goes, I couldn't figure that out. But again... Annas is, is mentioned. It would seem to be something that came in during his, his time. So I, I don't see this having gone on for a hundred years, fifty years, or anything like that. It's, it's been going on a while. But Jesus may have seen the gradual increase. Now he's in the ministry capacity. He has entered into his ministry. And he has decided to make a stand here. So he doesn't do this because he's passionately angry. He may be angry, but he's, this is not something that just overwhelms him. He comes in, he sees what's going on, he knows this was, was, was going to happen. He goes around, he takes some cords, and he starts to make a, a, a whip. But he's not visibly disturbed. Nobody's really calling attention to him. He's just making the whip up. Once he's got it made up, then he starts to, to drive the animals out. He starts overturning tables. If, um, go over to verse 16. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That comes from the Psalms. This one they remembered. Oh, he's zealous for the house of God. Hmm. This is one of the things that David had said. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. They were bringing things into the house of God 
that we're trying to change its purpose. We're going to use the enthusiasm of people for the things of God to get them to do things that will make us money. The only people who benefited from this were the people who were at the tables, the people who supplied the tables, and the people who were the money changers. Now, probably the leaders who enforced this, they got they got a, a payoff out of this thing too. They probably came and said, now when you set up that table, you got to give me so much percentage of whatever it is because you're not making this money if it isn't for me. And so all these people would be making money. The people who were affected by it, people who come in for the sacrifices, they couldn't change the law. They were subject to it and it cost them money. It cost them a lot of money. Some people may have even said, we've been going to Jerusalem every year for the feast. It's hard for us to get down there. But now we're going to have to buy buy one of their sacrifice animals and we can't do that and make the trip. There's just no reason for us to go. And some people probably decided to stay home and not obey the word and go after, after the feast. These people don't care because they want to make their money. Can you imagine that people in this world would be so bent on getting their thing that would make them money that they don't care who it hurts, how much money it costs them, just so they get paid? You might think, yeah, I can think of some stuff going on right now that would, uh, that would do that. Yeah, well, it's not just today. And it wasn't just in Jesus' day. And it happened before then. Because the nature of man is this way. The devil stirs that aspect of it up. So they brought these things into the house of God. It made it into something that it was not supposed to be. It may be that it was just done here at the feast time. I, I really don't see any evidence that it carried over outside. You know, you're, you're setting things up to, to have extra. You know, we would go down to Winter Bible Seminar. And Winter Bible Seminar, when we were going, Brother Hagen was doing the meetings. That thing was packed. It was packed. It, the auditorium normally held 5,000 people. That's what they could hold in there normally. They have a balcony. They have the, the main area. And it just, it was beautifully done. You never really felt like you were too far away from what was going on. But when, when they have a, a service like this, they would take chairs and they would put them up into the big area in the front. There was a, you know, they have a big area in the front for ministry and things like that. Well, they would take out some of that. And they would, they would put this in. They'd take the choir loft and the music area and they would put a whole mess of chairs up in there. And they would let people sit up there on the stage and there would be people sitting there and there in the front. And they just put chairs all over the place. And so what they did was they increased the capacity to about 7,000. And it would still pack out. If you didn't get there half hour, 15 minutes before, you were not getting a seat in the main auditorium. You'd be going to the overflow. 7,000 people would converge in that place by then. And so then other people would go into the, into the overflow. This would go on. But they didn't have it set up this way all the time. You set it up this way for these, these special things that were going on. Jerusalem is set up differently for this feast. They're set up for a crowd. They're ready for crowds to come in. They set up the temple to be ready for crowd, for, ready for a lot of sacrifices. Maybe we used to do a thousand sacrifices in a day. Now we're doing 10,000. I don't know what their numbers are, but, um, the city would greatly increase. Some estimates had a doubling in the population of the city for this time. I think some were even higher than that. 
Then verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? What sign? So he's doing all these things. He's cleaning all this stuff out. They say, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Now they want to get spiritual. Now they want to say, hey, show us, show us that you're from God. Show us that, uh, that God has given you this authority. Now nothing they did during this feast time with the tables, nothing they did brought people to a greater sense of holiness. None of it brought them any closer to God. None of it was, was there to draw people to God. No sinners came to repentance. There is nothing that they did that added any joy to this celebration at all. In fact, if anything, it took it away. But now they're going to get spiritual. What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise, raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, remember we were talking about on Wednesday nights that you can get a lesser understanding of, of, a, of a principle. You can settle for a flesh or just a mental reasoning area. And that's what they did. They just immediately attributed what he's talking about to the temple that they saw, not the temple of the body. But this is the sign that Jesus gave them. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now what's interesting is they remember this word. Because when they bring him before Pilate some years later, they will quote this. And they will also quote their misunderstood understanding of it. They were related to the temple. But the disciples, they kept this thing in mind. They didn't understand what he said either. But they, they realized, well, we don't understand what he's saying, but we're going to keep this in mind. And so they kept going over it, kept going over it, kept going over it. When Jesus was dead and raised, ah, that's what he was talking about. Just because you don't have understanding of something that you have heard, don't put it out. Don't dismiss it. Keep going over it. Keep going over it. Keep going over it. Things are going to happen in your life. It's going to bring you light. It's going to bring you understanding of this thing. Verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Well, they were asking for a sign. He gave them the sign that he would be raised. And So what other sign is he doing? Well, he's come in and he's, uh, he's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing what he normally does when he comes in. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. I I know what you guys are capable of. So let me come over to the second cleansing. This is over in Matthew. You can also read it in the other Gospels. But Matthew 21, we'll read there in verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, by all accounts, this is uh, probably... um, uh, three years later that this occurs, Jesus' ministry is three and a half years. The first one he encounters is pretty pretty quick. In three years, either nothing changed or it all gradually came on back. 
he didn't apparently deal with anything the next time he was in town. And if there was a time after that, he didn't necessarily deal with anything there. So either they didn't bring it all back in the full force. Maybe they brought it back in a little bit at a time. But by the, this, uh, this time here, by his final time, he's going to be coming through Jerusalem. He went through the triumphal entry. Everything is back to where it was. So did he do any good? Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, this is after he comes through the triumphal entry and everybody's praising God. Oh, glory, hallelujah, hosanna. During the feast, many believed in his name when they saw this. Oops, I went back too far. There it is. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. So in the first instance, Jesus walks in, starts to make the cord, and then he begins to drive the animals out. On this one, after the triumphal energy, entry, he goes right from the triumphal entry, right into the temple, and he starts purging it, getting it out, because he knew what was in here. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house shall be called a den of or a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Could you imagine saying to somebody, "Hey, let's go over to the den of thieves and sacrifice"? Would you say would you, we wouldn't want to do that? This is what he's saying: Your things that you have brought in, you have made the house of God into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be called the house of prayer. People ought to be saying, hey, let's go over to the house of prayer. Let's go over to the house of worship. Let's go over to the house of our God. They're not saying that. They're saying, no, let's go over where there's all those thieves over there. They're trying to steal money from us. And it makes people not even want to go. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Unscrupulous people, ungodly people, came in and put in their own rules and their own laws for their own benefit and turned the house of God into something it was not intended. And Jesus came and overturned the money changers' tables, the seats of those who sold the doves. So apparently the work of the first cleansing didn't last. Maybe it lasted the next year. Maybe the next year they're thinking, well, I don't know if we ought to do this this year. Uh, Jesus is coming back into town. He might be messing with us again. Maybe some of the people said, I lost a lot of money when uh, that money went flying. People all over took my money. I lost a lot. And maybe they didn't want to set up everything the way, way that it was before. But after a while, they got comfortable. And they brought it all back in. And by this time, it's all the way that it was. So we don't know. It, it probably came back somewhat gradually. But in verse 14... After he does this, after he overturns the tables, money's flying, doves are flying. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Came to him where? In the temple. Where were the money changers? In the temple. So he drives out the money changers, the people selling doves, the people selling the sheep and and the oxen. Drives them out and it presumably is now healing people where all this other stuff went on. Wow, that's changing things. And so then people came on into the temple to get healed instead of 
coming into the temple to have a den of thieves take all your money. So this is a little bit different from the other one. He, he did heal people after the other one, but in this one he stayed in the temple and he healed the people from in there. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were joyous. They were not, were they? No, they were indignant. Can you imagine? The leaders of the temple, the chief priest, when they saw that what was unrighteous was removed and that Jesus came in and in the very place where all this was going on, now people are being healed. If they came in with demon spirits, they're being cast out. But healing, great things are going on. And they saw all the wonderful things that he did. They saw the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. In the temple. Before we just had the noise of all the merchandising that was going on. Now you have children singing. Giving praise to God. And these guys are indignant. Huh. Can you imagine? People who say they are dedicated to a cause of helping people get spiritual, are upset when someone actually comes in and helps them get spiritual. Almost sounds like, in our day, when people who are supposed to be looking out for your health, when people actually come in and look out for your health, get mad at them and cut them off. Isn't that interesting? We're not facing anything new. This happened before. This is what people did in the, in the New Testament here. Probably did it in the Old Testament too. This is what's going on. Don't expect that just because people say they are for you spiritually, they are for your health, that they are doing the things that help you health-wise. That's not necessarily the case. Now, Jesus took on this battle. We told you last time you can't, you can't take on every battle. And, and uh, Jesus did not take on everybody. We just saw, uh, uh, I forget which, ep- I think it's episode six, because we have seven and eight still to go. Uh, last, uh, we were up, uh, oh, Thursday night, we were up in my, uh, up at the Bacons. And we sat down and we watched the, some of the Chosen. And we got to the scene where uh, John comes back in. This first time we've seen John come back in. Man, they made him look like a madman. Whew. He, he was something, but had the interaction, you know, with Jesus and all that. And, uh, and they actually were talking about, uh, uh, John taking on too many battles. <laughs> Basically, they didn't put it that way, but he, he just said, you know, you ought to back off a little bit on it. And, uh, John was that way. He was, he was certainly that, uh, that kind of a thing to do. But just because people say they're out to do good for you does not mean that they are. You need to understand, you need to follow your spirit. What's your spirit telling you about these things? Because your spirit won't lead you wrong. If you follow your spirit, you won't have to change your mind. If you follow your flesh, you'll probably end up changing your mind. If you follow your emotions, well, I think I can do this. No, I don't really want to do this. Well, I think I can do this. No, I don't want to do this. No, just go with what your spirit says. If your spirit says, all right, go ahead and and do that, then you go ahead and do it. If your spirit doesn't say that, then that's that's not the case. But we have leaders today. They see people hurt by the vaccines, by the mandates. Are they changing? 
I don't know if you all heard this, but I heard that a particular world health person, not not who, but just uh, a person who's involved in the health, um, I heard the testimony, but I don't remember the name. I can probably find it if anybody's curious. Testified before the CDC, not just ours, but I believe this had, had more global impact, the CDC. Testified to them that that there's so far about 150,000 deaths from the vaccine. 150,000. I believe that number is worldwide. That's not the other complications that go along with it. I don't know if you know this, but a few years ago, there was a, a flu vaccine that had 53 deaths associated with it, and they took it off the market for 53 people. They don't, they see the people that are hurt by the shutdowns. I saw, I saw, uh, just, just recently I saw a stat on Australia, because Australia is the most shut down country I think that I know of. And they post, posted the suicide rate. And the suicide rate was far higher than what they claim is the COVID death rate. Far higher. It's, I believe it, if you broke it down, 76 people a day were dying from suicide in Australia. But we still need to do these things. Isolation. People are being isolated. I saw a, a picture uh, just recently of a, of a contraption that they're making in the hospitals. The nurses are making this because people need contact. And so they would take two gloves and they would tie the fingers together and they would fill them with warm water and they would sandwich their hand with the two gloves to feel like someone was holding their hand. What a scene. People are dying from the treatments like remdesivir. I don't know if you know the stats. Anybody not know the stats on, on remdesivir? This is the protocol. This is what they are. If you go to the hospital for COVID and they put you in the ICU, the protocol is they're going to put you on a respirator and they're going to give you remdesivir. Remdesivir was rejected by the African nations when we sent it over to them to deal with Ebola because it was killing people. In fact, it killed so many people, they said, we don't want it anymore. We would rather face Ebola than to, to face that. What happens with remdesivir is it shuts your organs down. If you will go through and you look at the hospital records, if what ones you can get, and you find out the way they're treating the COVID patients, they're dying of organ failure. This is what this drug does. They're not allowed to, to uh, treat it with the ones, the hydroxychloroquine, the, uh, the other ones that are, they try and badmouth those. They try and uh, get people to think that they're, they're no good. Here's, here's one of the reasons. I was not aware of this until a little bit ago. If you have at least two cures for a disease, it can no longer be on emergency, or treatments, I should say. It can no longer be considered emergency status. If it's emergency status, then you can do all kinds of regulations and impose all kinds of things. If you lose the emergency status, then you can't do it. So we have to keep the things that actually cure it away from people. I heard a testimony of one person. I think, I don't know if she was a nurse or she had some medical training, but she had her father or older person. They were in the hospital. They were going to put them on the, uh, in the ICU. They were going to put them on radicevir. They were going to put them on the, and she said, no, no, no. Uh-uh. And uh, they would not treat him with what 
She asked, I heard her, I heard her testimony. I didn't hear it about that. I heard her testimony give it. She said, fine, we're going to take them home. We'll take them home on hospice. And they took them home on hospice, which meant certain things followed. And so they were able to give things in IV, and they did the, I think she did the hydroxychloroquine, or she did the ivermectin, or whatever it was that she had picked, and she did the treatment there. And in three days, he was better, five days, I believe it was, he was up. Probably would have died if he, if he put him in there for the, for the other. So the, the people that say they are doing your good are not always doing your good. But just listen to your spirit. Don't feel like you've got to have super knowledge about all this. Just follow what's in your spirit. If in your spirit you feel, well, I can go ahead and get that, then go ahead and get it. If somebody else sitting next to you doesn't think that you ought to get it, so what? I feel in my spirit, I'm okay. Then go for it. If you feel in your spirit, uh-uh, then don't do it. Well, if I don't, yeah, I know. But the Word of God says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask of God. God will give you wisdom. He'll give you wisdom. Your wisdom is going to be different from somebody else's wisdom because your situation is different. The people that you work for, the people that you're under are different. Just know it's going to be a little different way to go. I still got a third principle from last week I did not give you. I'm waiting for that one to hear to the end. Don't think I haven't forgotten about it. But you see, when the chief priest saw the wonderful things that were being done in the temple, people being healed, people being helped, they got mad. When people today see folks doing wonderful things with people that are supposed to die, they get mad. This is not right. This is not how people ought to, ought to abide. Once you start following that, and that example, folks, you're done. I, I do not believe the word out of your mouth, but I already found out that you know, certain things were, were not true. I, I gave you this story a long time ago. I'll refresh on this. But way back when I was at the King's College and I was learning stuff, we had to take a religious course, world religions. I really didn't like it because I don't want to learn about everybody else's religion. I want to learn about mine. But their idea was, if you learn about everybody else's religion, then you can minister to them. And he gave us some examples. And, you know, his example of the, of the guy was, uh, he, he understood, I forget what religion it was, uh, but he understood this particular Eastern religion. And so he saw him painting these things, and he says, he says to him, are any two dots the same? And the guy stopped, and he looked at him, and he said, how did you know to ask that question? And they were able to open up an entire dialogue, at the end of which, no one got born again, saved, or converted. But anyway, he was all excited about that. So we had this one book that we had to, had to read. Uh, it is the foremost authority, supposedly, of world religions. And um, I could tell you the guy's name. not going to bother with it. I mean, it's a, it is a book. You, you don't carry this book accidentally. It is a sizable book. We had to go through this book and this, this thing. And uh, I believe that this, this he's a doctor, uh, I believe that he was correct in telling me what was going on. Well, he came out with a sequel to it about all the false religions in America. Now, I don't know the world religions that he was teaching me about in the book, but he hit a couple of what he called false religions in America. I know that one. That is not a false religion. I know that person. They are not a false teacher. I know that they did not say this. And I began to shoot holes in all the things that he was doing. I said, if you can't teach me correctly on the things that I know, how can I trust you on the stuff that I don't? 
And so I took his original book and I chucked it. Because there's no way I can believe that he told me the truth on any of those other religions if I know he didn't tell me the truth on these. And so I don't, I don't study after this guy. I can still tell you his name. I know his name. Forty-some years ago I took the class, but I still remember the name. And um, once you get some of these people and they start lying to you, and they start telling you things are this way, and then uh, two weeks later, they're this way, then two weeks later, then they're this way. No. You don't have a love for the truth. Jesus is dealing with people in the religious area that do not love the truth and are not trying to bring people into the truth. They are not trying to help people. In fact, when they see people getting help, they get indignant. Don't think this is a new idea, what you're seeing. This is something from the pit of hell this is darkness. This is kingdom of darkness stuff. And people that are following after it are not following after the things of God. Don't do what they want you to do. Now, I, I did hear recently somebody was trying to say, I, I heard their name. I don't remember their name. You, you, you maybe you heard it. Some prominent leader in America is trying to tell people that the vaccine is along the lines of the mark of the beast. I am telling you it is not. I will tell you with every bit of authority I have on the word, it is not the mark of the beast. I'm not taking it, but it does not mean it's the mark of the beast. Do not think it's the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is very unique. The mark of the beast is centered around Israel. I can prove that to you from the word of God. It is not worldwide. It is centered around Israel. There may be worldwide copies of it, but it is centered around Israel. And the world and the, the mark of the beast involves worship. It involves worship. It undisputably involves bowing down to an idolatrous worship. That is the mark of the beast. Do not get it confused. And don't let people... They're ignorant people. They're trying to get you on this. Trying to get you through fear to not do something they don't think you ought to do. I don't want you to not do something because of fear. I want you to do, not do something because of knowledge. And because the Spirit of God leads you that way. Don't ever do it because of fear. Or not do it because of fear. But here they saw the wonderful things. They didn't, uh, they didn't like it. Verse 16, and he said, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus, Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? He's talking about the kids and what they were saying. Then he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and he lodged there. Now when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Before they confronted him right away, this one they confronted him after the next day. They came after him the next day. By what authority are you doing these things? I don't need to argue with you the legitimacy of what you did. I don't need to argue with you the legitimacy of whether these people should be in the temple or not. Because obviously they can't argue that. I need to argue you. By what authority do you have? That is the kingdom of darkness signature move. Kingdom of darkness never argues the validity of a truth. If it's ever challenged, they immediately attack the character of the person doing the challenge. This is what they have always done. They did it in the Old Testament. They did it in the New Testament. They did it in between the New Testament and the church age today. It has always been done. Whenever I see somebody challenging somebody's character, but are leaving aside 
the truth that they're trying to, 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 to tell. I know where it came from. I know what they're following. I don't have to wonder. Well, there's, a, there's that evidence. We know what goes on there. Verse 24. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. I love this about Jesus because what Jesus is telling you is people of the world, people of the kingdom of darkness are going to try and get you to divulge things and you do not necessarily have the responsibility to divulge it. People may come up to you and they may say, what's your vaccination status? People may come up to you, what's your view on this? People may come up to you and talk to you about what about this thing over here. You do not have to give them an answer. Now, regardless of, of these things, I've had th- people in my in my life, sometimes they were, I was real close to them. We would talk, to, we would have a lot of questions. We would go back and forth. And it, it came up in my spirit one time, what would you do if so-and-so came into you and asked you a question? I said, I probably wouldn't answer it. Why? Because they reject truth anymore. They don't accept it. Why in the world am I going to spend time on that or give them something more to reject? And see, that's the pattern that Jesus did. If you will talk to me about this, I'll talk to you. If you won't, we're done. That's what he's saying to them. You can put it this way. By what authority are you doing, or causing me to have to do these things? And if you won't show me what your authority is, I won't show you what my authority is for not doing it. The baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Now, wouldn't, wouldn't it be hard... Wouldn't it help you out a whole lot if you saw that they were saying, You know what? What is the truth here? Is John of heaven or John not of heaven? Wouldn't it be great if they just debate that and just decide what is the truth here? They didn't do that. They decided let's weigh the pros and cons of either way. If we go this way, whether or not it's truth is, is irrelevant. If we go this way, this is what's going to happen. If we go this way, this is what's going to happen. This is no good. So we, we can't really say. He gave us two choices on it. And it's bad for us either way that we go. Hmm. And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered and Jesus, answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Just a side, side shot from here. What is it that these people feared? They feared the mass opinions of people. They feared that. They didn't agree with it. They didn't like it, but they feared it. If everybody is on this page, the multitude's going to be a problem for us. We can't have that. We do not know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, these leaders dishonored the one they spoke of honoring with actions that altered God's purpose. They changed God's plan of, of his temple being a house of prayer, a house of worship, and they turned it into a den of thieves by the things that they did. There are people in the body of Christ, they honor God with their words, but their actions are far from him. Their hearts are far from him. 
they've abandoned his purpose for their own. We said there's a lot of churches, they, they just want people to feel all comfortable, feel all happy, all good, we don't need to convert, we don't need to cleanse. John was uh, certainly one of those people, John the Baptist. If you were in sin, boy, he'd just call you out. He didn't make you feel comfortable. He wanted you to change. He wanted you to have that, that altering that would go on. We are called to be a unique, a unique people, peculiar people. We're called by God to live according to his word. We are not to adapt. We're not to fit into the world's lifestyle. We're supposed to stand up as being different from it. Now, we're not here to condemn the world. We're here to show the world a different way. Very familiar scripture to us, but in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the verses that come after it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now look at this. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in him, you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is already condemned. He's not condemning you. You're already condemned. Because you didn't believe. You came into this world condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you can be removed from that. If you don't, you're already condemned. He's not condemning you. You are already condemned. Because he didn't come into this world to condemn. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So basically, you can say the situation in the temple was the new normal. And they wanted everybody to get used to it. This is the way we do things now. We got tables. We got sales going on in the temple. All the people did get used to it. Most of them didn't like it. Cost them more money. Jesus had seen it. Some of his life, at least, he had, he had seen it. But it's not what it was supposed to be. Now, Jesus, he saw this before. He, didn't, he did not come in and, to the temple and cleanse it before this. He chose this time. He chose this day for the battle. Here is principle number three that I did not get to you last week. Boy, this was an important principle. This is the one I was kicking myself the most for not telling you. If God gives you a battle, don't quit before it's finished. There's a whole lot of Christians out there. They decided God gave me this battle to do. And before they're finished with it, they gave up. Why? Because it got tough. No, if God gave you a battle, understand He gave you what you need to finish it. It does not mean it's going to be easy. When Jehoiada made the decision, this is my battle. He was not going to fight these other battles. He's fighting this battle of preserving the king's son and putting the king's son in that place. He's decided on this battle. There were times during that seven years that somebody came into the temple, came into the house of God, and came close to discovering who this person was. I'm sure that there was. There's times that he's over there praying, Oh dear God, don't let them recognize. Help me with this one. Show me what I can do. There were times he felt for his life. And the life of his family. Because they're going to kill all his family. They're going to kill him and all his family. If this is found out. But he stayed with it. He stayed with it right up to the to the time when he put him in, in charge. And they had all that all that stuff we went over last week. And then he stayed with them. He kept helping the king. Steer him in a, in a good direction. 
if God assigns you a, a battle or a task, you have everything you need to accomplish it. You may not be aware of it. You may not know it. Gideon had everything he needed to accomplish the task that God gave him. He just didn't know it. He just didn't come into realization of all that yet. But he had it. Peter had it. But he didn't come into the realization that he had all that he had. But eventually he did. And he went in there. He, he finished off those battles. He left some of those battles on the table before that. You do not have to, nor are you probably called to fight every single battle that is in this country. But you are called for some. You're going to have to figure out from God, which one am I supposed to fight? Which one am I equipped to stand up against? Which one am I supposed to, to come out and do? Now, I stay up a lot more on the things that are going on in this country than I ever bring out to you here on Sundays. The battle that I have picked up from God, and you know about this years and years and years ago, I have taken on the battle and continue to stand on it to make sure that the people that try and deceive the folks in this country are brought to the light of the gospel. We saw it in, in things that were being done on the border years ago. We've seen it here in the things with the disease and the vaccine. And the stuff I told you a year and a half ago, I haven't backed off from because I got it in my spirit and I don't have to change it. It's my job, it's my responsibility to make sure that if I bring anything out here to you that I've done my homework and I've gotten with God, is this a battle I'm supposed to be, be fighting? There's a whole lot more battles that are going on right now. I am equipped to fight. But that's not a battle I'm supposed to pick up. So I stay with the ones that God gives me and I keep coming after this thing about all the deception and the people that are trying to deceive folks wherever that deception comes out. And it has come out in many different ways. Right now, it's very much centered around the vaccine and a few other things. Uh, the, of course, the, the COVID numbers, all the stuff that they're trying to, to do with that. Um, I'm not, it is not that I am passionate about the vaccine and the COVID. I'm passionate about misinformation and bringing that to light. And I will keep doing that. Make sure that, that people know. I'd rather you all turn over every bit of them off in, their, in your home and not have the, uh, the mainstream media I like the term that was used for them to drive by media. Because they just kind of drive by, make a mess, and leave. <laughs> just know, Jehoiada likely felt pressure all those years, but he stayed with the battle. There are many people you will see in the Word of God. They took up a battle, and they stayed with it. Whatever battle you decide to pick up, and you're not going to pick them up, all of them. And don't you condemn somebody for not picking up the battle that you picked up. Don't ever walk in condemnation to that. But you find out what battle am I equipped to fight, what battle am I supposed to fight, and you stand there and you fight it. And if you do what God has told you to do, you may not know where it will go, but God has your has you covered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went right down into the furnace. And they came back out. It's been a while since we talked about them. But in the book of Revelation, during the seven letters to the seven churches, many of those in those cities that were mentioned were now had left Jerusalem and had gone into a city like Ephesus and were now facing pressure that if you don't join the guild, the workers' guild, you cannot have a job in this city. And in order to work in that city to do whatever it is that they did, to make the kind of money that they made, they would have to bow down. They would have to worship because to join one of these guilds involved worship. And many of them stood up and said, 
we're not going to do it. And they lost their job. And they didn't have the money coming in. And you can go back through and you can read some of the things in history to see what had gone on with some of them. Some of them lost their life. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in the letter, it says some of you will die. It's all right. I see what you're doing and I need you to. It was, it was all right. But just know, if you decide, all right, the vaccine is not my battle. I'm going to go ahead and get the shot. I'm just going to believe God that whatever is going to... If that's what you feel peace about, you go right ahead. Now, I would have a hard time myself. This is not you. This is me. My, me, myself, have a hard time with that because I know too much about the vaccines. I know uh, uh, stuff that's in them. My background was in some of these things. I got a lot of head knowledge in there. I got a lot of understanding of some of the things that they're doing. And I... I, I just know from that. Nope, I'm not putting that thing. <laughs> Don't think that if you take it, uh, well, I'm going to die. Then you're doing something out of fear. Or you're not doing something out of fear. Just listen to your spirit. Father God, this is, my, this is what I'm up against. What do you have me to do? And just listen to him. And he will lead you. But whatever he leads you to do in your spirit, whatever, he takes, whatever direction he takes you, he will be there to help you. He will be there to sustain you. And it does not mean that it won't be hard. But what it does mean is that He will be there for you to help you through. There are many times that leaders in the Bible forbid or tried to force the people of God to do or not to do something. If you are reading in our chapter today, how many read Acts chapter 4 on Friday? If you read Acts chapter 4 on Friday, you will see they tried to force them to not preach in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? To obey you or to obey God, what do you think we ought to do? We're going to obey God. And they went out there and they did it. And they refused to obey what their leaders, their religious leaders, told them to do. In the book of Exodus, Moses and Israel, Israelites were told by the leader of the country, quit doing all this stuff. Quit talking about sacrifice and get back to work. And they did not listen. Nehemiah and Ezra, they were commanded by the people around them, stop building the wall. Stop building the temple. And they didn't listen. And Nehemiah talks about how difficult it was being on the wall and trying to build the wall with a sword in your hand. But they stayed with it. If God gives you a battle, be sure you finish it. Don't leave it undone. Don't take up a battle you're not sure of. Pray, get God's direction. God, I know you want me to go this way. I know you want me to do this. And stay with it. Right now we got battles with vaccines, masks, and all the other things. But next year it could be something different. And the year after that it could be something different after that. We don't know. They're trying to, to, to as they, in their own words, they're trying to push a norm. Just like they did here in this story. It is now normal for us to do these things in the temple. Jesus came in and said, that is not normal, and I will not allow it. And he overturned tables, and he drove out animals. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have equipped us, you have helped us in all the things that we face in life. Whether we take on a battle of the vaccine, whether we take on the battle of the masks in the workplace, 
whether we take on the battle of whatever it is that they're throwing our way, whatever it is that we're trying to be forced to do. Down in our spirit, Father, you lead us. And you may say, that's not an important battle for you. I need you to focus on here. If Jehoiada had focused on all the battles that were going on around this unscrupulous leader that God did not put into that place, he would have brought attention to the one battle only he could fight. I don't know every person here in the battles that are in front of them or the, what you have called them to, but you do. I thank you that you will lead everyone. Everyone here who needs wisdom, you give them that wisdom. You give them that direction. And they will know what to do. The enemy just loves to disrupt our trust in our God. But we will trust in you. Thank you for it. I give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we got the stuff finished from last week that we needed to do. Um, if you have any more questions on this, you know, let me know. Slip them to me. I'll try and help you out with all that best we can. If any of you need a, uh, a letter for your employer of a religious exemption, we will be glad to help you out with that. We printed out some examples of them, and they're not short, but uh, they are thorough. And if you are interested in that for any of the jobs that you might have, just uh, let me know. And uh, we can show you the, the ones that are out there because you have to believe it. So if you want to read them over, I like this one. I can stand on this one. We'll put it on our church letterhead. I'll sign it. We'll get that, uh, get that off there to, for you. So whatever we can equip you with, we'll, we'll be glad to help out. I'm not saying that it's going to you know, definitely be everything that you need. But if we can help you with that, we will certainly do so. You just let me know what you uh, want to do. If you want copies of any of those, my wife made some uh, copies before. We can send some on over to you. Uh, emails, definitely, things like that. But um, uh, just don't, don't be in fear. Don't let your trust in God be disrupted. Stay trusted in Him. Keep the worry and the anxious anxiety out. And uh, glory to God. God will take you through. Until people stood up to the fiery furnace, until people stood up to the den, until people walked into the temple and overturned things, nothing changed. And it wouldn't change. But there are certain people that are going to call, be called to go into those battles and to fight them. And thank God for them. Have a great rest of your day. Bless some folks around you.